0: Hey everyone, Dre Harrison here from Hot Takes Wednesday in the WTF1 editing room. Just wanted to let you know that Harry and Callan originally recorded this episode straight after the race had finished and missed the news about Hamilton and Leclerc being disqualified from the race for their planks being too thin. Only fair we give you the extra context. See you back here on Wednesday for another HTW and until then, enjoy the show.
1: The WTF1 post race podcast.
0: Well, the second of three Grand Prix stateside is complete. Austin, Texas, seeing a sprint and a full Grand Prix distance across the weekend. A sprint that left, let's face it, a lot to be desired. And a race that was, I'm going to say, more dull than interesting, dictated by tyre strategy. But Callan O'Keefe, who joins myself, Harry Benjamin, as always, to debrief all things Austin. Uh, Lando Norris gave us a good bit of hope
1: at one point. Yeah, I mean, what a lap one! That was absolute textbook from Lando of how to get a perfect start and drive away into the sunset, wasn't it? And you know, when we we all we we've been there this year, haven't we? Where someone else is leading, and you're just waiting for Verstappen to turn it on and and come back through, but. For, you know, for the early stage of the race, the McLaren really looked like it had strong pace in the first phase before the first round of stops. And yeah, it gave us all that hope, didn't it? But uh, Max did what he does best and, and, you know, put together an amazing strategy, executed it and, yeah, took home another victory, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it wasn't quite to be for uh, Lando Norris in the end. Everyone thought, "Oh, is he going to do a one-stop? Can he make it work?" Uh if it was a sprint race, he would've had it in the bag, like Jensen Button said for the podium interviews, <laughs> but not quite the case. But I mean, let's get into this tire stuff because I I mean, I hate talking about tires, but we have to because that was really what the what the race was about, wasn't it? And it it was a hard one to kind of know where everyone was because originally we we were chatting through the race and and when Norris pitted straight away uh to go on to the hard tire that was a we felt that was a bit bizarre and then he couldn't make the one-stop work but then everyone just seemed to kind of be copying each other when it came to pitting
1: yeah it was a race of reacting really so initially you had Lando who boxed and then Verstappen, oh sorry, it was Verstappen who boxed first and then Lando boxed to cover him, wasn't it? It's there's so much that happens on these weekends. I always get lost. But it was kind of every time one of the top two protagonists made a, a pit stop, the other one went to cover it. And it it didn't seem to me like it was actually the optimal strategy. The, the the team that I actually think optimized the strategy was Mercedes. I think their the way that they went about the race was was probably optimal. I just don't think they had the pace to to win the race today. But I think potentially if we had seen either Verstappen or Norris copy that strategy and kind of stick to their own way, but I mean, obviously you never know really where the teams are at with sort of tire wear and everything. But it didn't sound like Lewis was having an easy afternoon, especially you know towards the end of that first stint. But it, yeah, it just it just felt like a, a bit of a race where everyone was kind of on edge. It was kind of like Norris was trying to win his first Grand Prix red bull probably felt a little bit more under pressure and we you know we'll discuss it a bit later with and we you know kind of heard it from the radio messages with the staff as well but it was it wasn't like a cleanly executed race at the front where they just kind of stuck to their plans which we sometimes see in formula one it just looked all of it sort of like well they've done that so we have to respond and um yeah it, it, it was a very strange race in that sense i think
0: yeah i agree i think at one point I thought, how you know, what was the uh, the end result? The gap was just over two seconds in the end between Verstappen and Hamilton. And you're right, Hamilton had the best strategy, but the pit the pit stops weren't great, which slowed him down. And Verstappen was under pressure for the first time managing an issue with the brakes, and we you know we heard him on the radio with uh gp it's not the first time we hear those two uh having a, a bit of a who's who on the radio they are friends but when it comes to radio chatter they're pretty blunt with each other but let's go and let's get into that because this was the first time maybe this season that max has felt the pressure a bit and what i find so intriguing about max verstappen is that he he didn't this wasn't win at all costs for him or it didn't need to be he's got the title in the bag but the way he is hardwired to win and anything else is not good enough it's just incredible even when he has had the most dominant season that i can remember since michael schumacher he still has to fight for every single piece of track, for every tenth of a second. And this, I think, was one of the closest winning margins we've had all year. Could have been longer, but he was nursing a problem. Let's not forget that. It's just, the man's a machine.
1: Yeah, and I think, he, you know, you only have to really look sometimes, especially in the the last, like, recent memory of races, the start of the season when, you know, kind of Perez was challenging him a little bit and we kind of had the Astons in the mix. It, It seems like a distant memory, doesn't it? But it, it's quite nice to still see that. As you said, there's not really anything on the line other than just statistics. He's He's been on a dominant run. He's won the World Championship. You know, there's there's nothing really overarching here that really forces him to win the race. But you could hear in the radio messages this wasn't a cool, calm, collected drive that we've seen during the course. They obviously were used to the banter back and forth with him and his engineer, but normally it's arguing over whether or not you should do the fastest lap, not yeah. whether, you know, the other cars are catching him. So... You know, he was, he was getting a bit, uh, a bit flustered, obviously shouting not to talk in the braking zone. So that is a pet peeve for drivers, by the way, for any engineers or prospective, you know, or future engineers listening. Never talk to a driver in the braking zone. That is like the worst thing you could possibly do because it completely <laughs> takes you out of your focus. So, you know, it's great. And hopefully Max's engineer listens to this and, and learns the errors of his ways. I I feel like it's the equivalent
0: of, um, of when you're, when I'm driving my car and I've got a passenger and they're trying to talk to me and we're, we're approaching a roundabout. I feel like that's the equivalent. It's like, no, no.
1: I like that. that. It it takes you out of your flow, doesn't it? You can't really analyze what pedestrians are crossing or whether there's a bicycle coming across or something like that. So yeah, (laughs) I think, I think, you know, it's, it's, Obviously great to see that as well. And I love that. I love that hunger. I love actually seeing that show of emotions on the drives because the helmet hides all the emotions most of the time. And we're used to especially Max being this, you know, ruthless machine. It's actually quite nice to see him under pressure. And actually it's you know, the the moves he executed today. I didn't have the fast car who was nursing a bit of a problem, but the moves he was pulling on the brakes as well, absolutely phenomenal, staying within the track limits, making that effort and just really for me demonstrating why he's done the job that he's done this season. Yeah.
0: It, it was a new situation for him this, uh, this race to feel that pressure. But, uh, even with just a 2.2 2 second margin at the end from Lewis Hamilton, he now is a 50 time Grand Prix winner joins Hamilton, Schumacher, Vettel and Alain Prost on that list. And and the only way is up for Max Verstappen, isn't it? So, uh, once again, he is making the history books. Um, Let's have a a little look just behind those of our leaders, because in the end Norris fell to third, but had that kind of uh, wrapped up. It's good to see the McLaren having having the pace to begin with. Um, let's talk Ferrari. What happened to Leclerc? Because I, I didn't have signs kind of outtrancing him for this for this race. Signs
1: fourth, Leclerc sixth. I mean, it is something we have seen, though. You know, signs yeah. signs and a clerk are very closely matched, and I I've said this the last few weeks. I just feel like signs was obviously the the guy that had the upward momentum, and he's been slowly winning Ferrari over, hasn't he? And you know, Charles <laughs> was absolutely fuming when he was told to uh, to let Carlos through. He couldn't understand why, even though he's clearly you know massively quicker. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's just strange, isn't it? Because we we have this chat week in and week out about how Charles is the number one in Ferrari and what Carlos is going to do. But, you know, especially this year, I think Signs has been the more consistent driver. I think he's been the faster driver and I think he's performed better in most circumstances. So it's kind of nice to see actually the table shifting a little bit there, the driver who's doing the better job getting the recognition. But again, you know, we always talk about this inter-team battle that drivers have to face first and foremost where, where does Charles go now? Because when you're the number one in Ferrari, you've been there several years and you're not really delivering. And now the teammate who's the number two is beating you, I suppose the number two is beating you. How, do you. how do you bounce back from that?
0: Well, exactly. I mean, if anyone can, it's, it's probably Charles Leclerc. But uh, the one stop for him not working out in the end. Um, and wait, did he do a
1: one stop? Yeah. Oh, well, I he tried. I I liked it when he came on the radio, and it's like we're going to go to uh, to plan D. It's like, hey, oh my it's god, over. it's over. Just stop. It's far too late for that. I lost track it's... of how many plans they had at Ferrari. <laughs> we were getting but into
0: he... that kind of territory again.
1: I know. I know. Everyone gets tired of of tire talk. And they're tired. That's a pun there. That's some oh, keeping it fun and interesting for the viewers. Can you tell
0: we're recording this
1: quite late at UK time zone as well? <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm sat in a hotel room in Imola at the moment where we've just been speaking about tyres before the F3 test. So it's, it's fresh in my mind. But I, I do find it really interesting, you know, coming off the back of Qatar as well and, and kind of understanding what the drivers are going through when they are saving tyres. And actually when we were texting during the race, when um when Verstappen took the lead back from Norris, And he was kind of staying with them within DRS range. And I I send you a text saying, I kind of feel like he's doing this on purpose to try and hinder Lando's chances of doing a one-stop. You know, just sitting behind. and, And I think kind of one of the things that maybe some people might not know about, but humor me if you do, is they always talk about energy through the tire. And as soon as you're sat behind or you're sliding or you're locking up or you're breaking traction or just the tire's just scrubbing along the surface, you're not using the energy effectively. And a, you know a racing driver especially now in the modern era of formula one is kind of like a marathon runner it's all about understanding how much energy you think you're going to have and then bargaining that out for the entirety of a race or the entirety of a stint and i, I just find it really interesting when we go to these places where it's super bumpy there's lots of changes of direction lots of medium and high speed corner where the tires are under a lot of strains are taking a lot of energy from the tire how these drivers manage to understand where the limits of grip are predict where it's going to be lap after lap and Make a tyre that shouldn't last more than two laps last while still driving to the limit. You know, it's, it's, for me, it's something that I don't think gets enough recognition because everyone always talks about tyres and it's, it's kind of like a negative subject. But I find it fascinating watching the drivers actually perform at that level, understanding what they're doing. And it, it just shows how, uh, how superhuman these drivers really are.
0: And, and that can really bring a race alive. You know, tyres and strategy was the main basis of what we just saw on, on, the television for the U.S. Grand Prix. That is what made it exciting. Seeing how well some drivers could manage or not. Could somebody do a one-stop or would you have to stick something else on last minute? Uh, and, and they can spice up a Grand Prix. I mean, even maybe clutching at straws here but yuki sunoda sticking on a, a set of softs right at the end to go for the fastest lap i mean he got a great bit of airtime for it he managed to get i felt a bit sorry for yuki he was on course for another p10 finish another one point and uh then he had the gap alpha tower he managed to put uh, a new set of softs on and he put in a great lap to steal an extra point uh for, for the fastest lap so you know, yeah, we can get bored of talking about tires, but they they really are incremental uh, to, to sometimes the story of a race. And and I just thought that about Sonoda was absolutely brilliant uh, for him as well. So he picked up a couple of points there, a little bit further back. Um, Daniel Ricciardo, on the other hand, back in the saddle uh, at his one of his favorite Grand Prix, uh, bit of damage towards the end of that Alpha Tower, hence he was plumb last. Uh, but even he admitted after the sprint he had a bit of rustiness with the old racecraft.
1: yeah and i think this is you know it's very easy to be like oh daniel you know he's super experienced he's got a high caliber he should just rock up and just be good but i think especially when you're you're kind of used to being in a front-running car or at least certainly like a midfield car and then you jump into a car that's Probably a little bit below average it's it's harder to find your feet straight away because your mistakes are punished much much harsher um and I think you know he's he's not really had the uh the comeback to Formula One that we thought he was going to have obviously he got the injury and then it, he's he's under a little bit of pressure now. I know we you know Red Bull tend to say everythings sorted, but I you know the performance that Lawson put in I don't think anything's signed on well I don't think anything's sealed. everyone has to perform at Red Bull to be secure. So I I feel like yeah he just needs a bit of time to get back into it. I was hoping for a little bit more. I thought he'd be you know closer. He was still a couple of tenths off in the qualifying. I know he didn't really you know the first qualifying for the sprint race. I know he didn't really have enough time to get back into it. But I'd like to see him have a proper weekend, like a as called it like a traditional format with more time and free practice. Find his feet again. Find a bit of a rhythm. Find a bit of momentum and. Yeah, see really where he can measure himself against Sonoda because, again, Sonoda's is proving to be a pretty solid reference, isn't he?
0: Yeah, Sonoda needs this 100% as well. He needed that P10 and the fastest lap point. He needs, he needs to continue that and showcase that he has got uh, what it takes to hold on. Well, he's already got the seat, obviously, for next year, but he, he needs to start showcasing why he might be an eventual Red Bull uh, driver alongside Verstappen. I think he's still got a long way to go when it comes to that. But, uh, you know, Sonoda needs the results like that to continue. he does pick up uh, a couple of points for Alpha Tower, which takes them to seven. It doesn't lift them up, lift them off the back of the uh, Constructors' Championship, but it gets them much closer to Haas, who have 12 in front of them. than Alpha Romeo with 16, and Williams uh, just had it with 23. So the battle for seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth, in the Constructors' rages on. Um, let's take it back a bit to lap one of the Grand Prix uh, and the incident between... Oscar Piastri in the McLaren and Esteban Ocon in the Alpine. It was, well, it happened coming out of turn two, just as you start to head towards the the high-speed, quick-change of directions, very much like Silverstone's Maggots and Beckett's section of turns three, four, five, and six. And the slightest bit of contact, but clearly enough to send Ocon out of the race, and Piastri later had a problem, Could have been much worse. The car control Ocon had on there to keep that Alpine pointing in a straight direction was immense.
1: Yeah, it was. We, I, I'm an Oscar Piastri fan. I think he's doing a mega job. This was kind of like the first time in the last few weeks. We've just seen him have a bit of a rookie weekend, wasn't it? It was, you know, he didn't have a great sprint race. He, he kind of, I think maybe there was a little bit of damage from that contact on the run up to turn one, but you know, maybe he just, he just struggled with management of the tires. And then, yeah, it was it was just a bit clumsy from both sides. I think you know, like Piastri could have left a bit of room. Ocon could have backed out of it. He's a racing driver, so he's probably not going to. But it was for me, it was it was kind of the first time in a while that we haven't seen Piastri matching Norris. Either it wasn't Piastri's weekend, it wasn't his track, or Norris is taking a bit of a step up. Which it may well be the latter, to be fair. You know, and it's it's interesting. We spoke about it on the podcast before the weekend, actually, with Andrea Stella saying. You know, Norris is feeling a, a bit of pressure. He's feeling a bit of discomfort here with how close Oscar is. So, but it's going to be good for him to see if he can elevate his game. And it was, it was a really solid weekend from him. He's, um, he's kind of, again, put down a little bit of a marker to say, okay, well, this is where I can take the level to. But again, seeing that McLaren up the front fighting for, for race wins, fighting for the top three, it's, it's absolutely mega, isn't it?
0: Oh, it's brilliant. Um, well, we speak about it so much. They, they've won the development race. By far, 100%. they've won 100%. that one. Um, so, well, your top 10 was Verstappen, Hamilton, Norris, then Sainz, Perez, the top five, Leclerc, Russell, Gasly, Stroll and Sonoda, uh, the top 10. They were all the point scorers. And just outside was Albon, Sargent, Hülkenberg, the two alphas of Bottas and Joe, Magnussen and Ricardo. the last official uh, finisher in 17th, and Alonso, Piastri and Ocon, as we've just mentioned, have retired. And speak of McLaren... Despite only finishing with one car, it was still P3. Alonso, no points. Stroll actually got a couple of points in a, a, a better weekend. It was still wasn't hasn't been a great weekend overall, In certainly in terms of reliability for either Aston Martin. But Stroll back in the points with a P9. But what this has done is that McLaren have overtaken Aston Martin in the Constructors' Championship. McLaren got up to 4th. With 239 points, Aston Martin down to fifth, 232, despite bringing upgrades this weekend.
1: Yeah, it's, it, I found it really funny when Alonso came on the radio and said that he had a problem. It was like, his re-suspension's broken. The engineer went, we can't see anything. And I had <laughs> a little chuckle to myself because obviously he retired two laps later, but I, I... I sometimes love with engineers where they, you know, if the number doesn't say that something's broken, it doesn't matter what the driver feels, you keep driving until we can see on the numbers that it's broken. And um, you know, maybe maybe I'm reading into it too much, but if, if driving there's so many different moving parts to developing a race car, and a lot of it comes down to to human feeling. The drivers have to be comfortable with the packages put underneath them. They have to feel like they can extract the maximum, because that's that's really what a, a Formula One car is. It's it's a test of commitment because you know the more the more you keep the aero platform neutral with how you you know rotate the car using your feet and hands the more speed you can carry through the corners effectively that's where formula one cars really find their difference and um it just looks like the development path they just chosen just hasn't worked for either one of the drivers it, it hasn't it hasn't really added anything and yeah maybe maybe other teams are developing you know as you said mclaren are on a massive upward you know spike in terms of development but it does look like they are detuning. It doesn't look like they're you know, staying the same anymore. It actually looks like they are getting worse. And yeah, it, it's, it, it always baffles me with them. I, I know you're asking for these tiny margins and it's very easy for me to say sat in the hotel room being quite simply a you know, racing driver slash driver coach. But it, it always baffles me how you can have such a strong car at the start of the season. And then you choose a direction that's just slightly different and it's the wrong one. And all of a sudden you lose so much you know, tangible performance. It's, it's such a complicated world, isn't it?
0: It is. But I suppose the, this is worst case scenario. I mean, they've had a brilliant start to the year. But if you're a team and you have two options, have an amazing start to the year and then get worse and worse and worse as the year goes on. Or have a really rubbish start to the year and get better and better and better as the season goes on. And that is literally the tale of Aston Martin and, and McLaren. You take the latter right every time 100%, 100%. because if you're better towards the end of the year that's that's good news for you because that's a concept of car that you can carry over into 2024 Aston martin now leave themselves scratching their head quite frankly thinking right okay we have improved overall from last season, but actually it's a greater loss considering where we were at the start of the year. Now they're going to have to really dig themselves out of this hole that they've kind of found themselves in to try and turn things around. I mean, look at Haas as well. I mean, we're talking different levels here, but Haas down in night, the whole new concept of car they brought for this weekend following in Red Bull's footsteps and so late on in the season, it's kind of make or break as to what they do for next year. And i mean it
1: didn't look like it was bringing that much more performance no i i think you know kind of hulkenberg benefited from being on the, the strategy which i thought was the best strategy during the race which was similar to hamilton's one mm. and um yeah it just like i said to you it's it's very complicated because we're analyzing for tenths of a second here it, and tenths of a second are really nothing it's but, you know, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of resource, there's a lot of very, very clever people working at the various factories trying to understand how to make these bits of carbon fiber go, you know, circulate around tarmac faster and faster. So it, yeah, it's amazing. I, I mean, to be fair, the, the two has drivers did say before the start of the weekend, they highly doubted that it would massively change anything, although as much as they hoped. Um, and, and I do think, I think Austin's a little bit of an anomaly in terms of the way the track layout is. It's it's very, very focused on change of direction and high speed, and it's just super bumpy. I mean, you you know, you only have to watch the cars, the attitude over the change of the direction, it's the braking zones, etc. It's it's a bit of a unique place like that. So let's let's see, kind of let's let's see next weekend how the actual upgrade kind of war is, is waging on. But um, yeah, only the uh, the people back at the factory, the people analyzing the numbers, will really know if they've seen some improvement or if they're going to have to uh, try something else again.
0: Yeah, one final uh, point on the race before we get onto our podium and also have a little look forward to Mexico uh, next weekend. Um, track limits, sorry. Oh. I hate to bring it up. <laughs> this It's the two T words, isn't it? It's tyres and track limits. Track limits. Um, <laughs> God, that'd be a hell of a podcast, wouldn't it? Um, should they have extended that white line after Verstappen got his time deleted? And equally, are we looking too deeply at track limits do should we you know track limits wasn't a thing 10 years ago
1: it's just track limits really frustrates me as a fan and also as a driver so i'm going to start off by saying disclaimer yes of course i'm a racing driver i've been penalized in a race for track limits i've gotten a five second penalty before so before anyone goes looking for that i've been guilty of this but i'm 27 years old now i can learn from the error of my ways I was terrible back then i'm, I'm much better now so <laughs> i i don't understand how in 2023 drivers will drive off the track continuously like the corner a corner is just an angle it's it's a it's a bit of tarmac and there's only so it's, it's physics there's only so much speed you can carry to maximize that specific corner on the track if the drivers can't keep it on the track The answer is, well, that's a challenge. Change your entry line. Change the way you brake. Change the way you rotate the car. Try a bit more curb to get the car to rotate. Try a bit less curb to bounce the car off. Delay your throttle picker. There's loads of tools that drivers can do rather than just extending the white line. It just feels like such a cop out. And these are the best drivers in the world. The track limits are defined by the FIA regulations. You have to keep a wheel in contact with the white line at all times to be considered within the track limits. You know, what kind of a precedent does it set to younger drivers who, and it is a debate throughout all the way, not necessarily so much in karting because most of the tracks are just like big drop-off curves and then grass. But from F4 all the way up to Formula 1, track limits is a huge debate. And what kind of a precedent does it set to young drivers to say, well, don't worry, if you keep violating track limits, we'll just paint the white line a bit thicker for you. And so I, I kind of have a bit of a problem from a pure racer standpoint, you know, if you, you only have to look back in the, you know, the, the the sort of like previous areas of racing when it was there was no safety at all, and that's not what I'm saying to go back to. But you know, drivers if they made mistakes, they were properly penalized, and now we're going well. If you don't want to stay within the track, we we'll, we we'll just make the white line a little bit thicker for you, so you can. So, yeah, maybe may I'm passionate about it because you know, even last weekend we had a, a race in Valencia at the MotoGP circuit. And that's a place where you can really abuse track limits. It's it's carnage. In the session before qualifying, we go to the race director and we say, "Look, like we need clearly defined ideas of where the track limits are." And they say, "Well, we're working to the sporting code. we will work, you know, we're working work to the FIA regulations." So you keep your driver's key within track limits. You lose probably two or three tenths. You leave that on the table, and then you go watch from the top of the grandstand, and you see the other cars all going off everywhere during the race and during the qualifying. And you're like, "Well." You know, where's, where's the consistency with And actually, this is something interesting, Harry. I want to get your opinion on it. I think I, it. Have, I think I have a solution for it. Everyone has a solution for track limits. But I, I want to hear what you think about this. Well, a couple this is out. The perfect place for track... I'd have gone on a bit of a rant here, so I apologize to everyone. But it's something that I feel very passionately about, clearly. <laughs> the perfect place where track limits are... There's the perfect balance of safety, but also punishing you for your mistakes... Is Maggitt, Beckwith, and Silverstone, and the answer to it is: you have the, the the racetrack, you have a thin, you know, whatever it is, half meter patch of grass, and then you have your safety tarmac, your gravel, and your barrier. And what that means is drivers can't just abuse track limits because you hit the grass and your lap's ruined. But it also means that if you have a crash or you have something serious mechanically, then you're also well protected. We're not compromising driver safety. So I. I think something like that would be such a good answer to track limits, just to make sure the drivers can't get away with, with you know, kind of, for lack of a better expression, taking the piss.
0: That, I mean, that does sound good because I, I, would, I would say, well, the answer is surely, you know, you don't have runoff area, you have grass or you, and you have gravel. But actually, from a safety standard, having a, a small layer of grass or gravel is enough of a deterrent uh, and is enough of a, a a natural penalty if you utilize it and then you've got the safety net of the tarmac runoff behind or whatever it may be so i but well then the question is why wouldn't why haven't they done that why wouldn't they they do that is that because it it would just take ages to to do that all the tracks around the world or You know, at some circuits, we also have to think about how that affects MotoGP and and bike racing because they have a lot of, um, uh, they have bigger safety uh, things to think about if you, you know, because it's literally the rider can fly off and they need so much uh, runoff area to be able to run bikes around tracks. And there are increasingly more and more crossover tracks between Formula One and MotoGP. So is that, I, I would suggest, is another factor for why that hasn't quite happened.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like, it, I'm sure there's a reason why the if, if it's already in place somewhere, you know, I'm not the first person to come up with some revolutionary idea for track limits, but it. I just find it <laughs> yeah, interesting. You You're going to be president
0: of the FIA next, so it's in, revolutionary. Interim, interim, interim president interim, of the interim, FIA. Interim, sorry, Only sorry, temporary, I
1: can't have that level of responsibility on my shoulders just yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it, it's just... It's frustrating, like I said, because I think it's it's frustrating as a driver, it's frustrating for the fans, it's frustrating for the people working in the sport, and it is just something it's it's there's never going to be a perfect one size fits all formula, but I think the key is to kind of keep the debate open about it. I think what they did as a fix was probably the wrong thing for me, but again I'm you know I'm not in a position of power making these decisions um and probably nor should I be um, because I'm far too passionate about track limits. But I, I think, you know, it's kind of understanding in the future, how can we improve it? How can we make it better? You know, we, we've seen some, some track limit stuff like the, the, you know, we call them the, the sausage or the banana curbs, the the yellow ones that have been, you know, installed around various circuits and then taken away because they pose a risk to driver safety. When drivers hit them, they tend to like break their backs and stuff like that. So the FIA is is constantly learning. It's constantly monitoring their own, you know, protocols they put in place, but it's, yeah, I think if drivers can't stay within the white lines in future, please don't just make a thicker white line. Please ask the drivers to just, you know, do the exact thing that they're all really, really good at and drive to the limit of what they actually should be available to them.
0: Yep. Passionate about track limits, Callan O'Keefe. I mean, you're only 27, give it time. You could still be interim president of the FIA and, and or interim head of track limits, I think, would be a good... A good track limits,
1: uh, track limits advisor official track limits advisor to the yeah, FIA.
0: You, and, and you literally have to go around every single circuit and just stand on the corner and see if it's yay or nay that's your job there would,
1: there would be a lot of there would be a lot of nays unfortunately <laughs> we, we've got a we've got a sport to clean up here we do but let
0: us know uh if you've got any ingenious ideas uh let us know uh your track limits solution stories uh you can get in touch uh, on the wtf on socials so we'd love to hear them. Um Right, let's do our podium then for the US Grand Prix. Your star performer, your worst performer, and your biggest surprise performer of the Grand Prix. Please, Callan O'Keefe, shall we start with star performer of the Grand Prix? Let's go for star performer.
1: I would say... I kind of want to say Verstappen, to be honest with you. I know it's the it's the cop-out answer, but he, I think he did a really good job this weekend. He really did. He managed... I don't think he had a supreme pace advantage, problem or no problem. He wasn't super, super, super strong like he always is. And I think he did a great job controlling the race, especially today. So uh, he is my star performer.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go... Uh, I mean, that's a very worthy cause. I'm going to go for somebody who uh, showed, I think, quite a, a good level of bravery uh clearly had a, an incredible amount of co- of self-control uh, not to mention he, he, he just hugely talented um was the man who sung the national anthem i just thought he had a marvelous voice and to do it on that on that observatory platform uh i thought uh that was marvelous so that he was my star performer of the race i have to say the man who sung the, the national anthem it's probably somebody really famous and i have not clocked who it is but uh but i just they're not if they're not
1: famous they should be after that they should be they should be it it, honestly i was
0: sitting there thinking this is this is a lovely rendition absolutely i'd buy this man's album can can we just say as
1: well for the record i love circuit of the americas like it was there is something about it right it was it wasn't like a a a race where there was like a huge amazing thing that happened but there was has has
0: it ever been really
1: no but exactly, but there's I something it about it that everyone loves.
0: There.
1: Yeah, I I love the atmosphere. I love the fact that the drivers play up to it as well. What an awesome location! You know, there was um there was that scene when um when Hamilton passed Norris of the Hamilton fan, kind of like waving her hand at some McLaren fans, and I was <laughs> like, I love seeing that level of passion and enthusiasm, and it, it's really really cool to see it. So my other star performer was the people of america and especially texas well done texas well done austin well done done, america
0: um worst performer of the grand prix i'm gonna go for it's a hard decision but i'm gonna go for sergio perez um in in a p5 finish 18 and a half seconds of his teammate yeah, it's just not uh, incremental. I think he, he had an incrementally better weekend of recent, but you know he shouldn't be down in fifth with a Mercedes and McLaren and a Ferrari between him and his teammate. Really,
1: yeah, I agree with that. I I'm going to go slightly different, and I'm going to say my worst performer of the the top, you know, the top drivers, not looking further down towards the back. I would say it was Charles Leclerc. Okay. I mean, to, to start on pole. And then finish behind your teammate. Yeah. Just not not yeah, just wasn't wasn't his weekend, really. That was a good run for uh for um
0: Carlos Sainz, actually, in the end. Uh he was closing in on Lando, but uh Lando had it in the end uh, for that final podium position. Okay. Biggest surprise performer of the Grand Prix, please.
1: Our favorite Japanese driver, Mr. Sonoda.
0: Hey.
1: What a what a performance. I didn't expect I didn't I tell you, I didn't see that coming. I'm also he was kind of, he was in the running as well for my my star performer as well, just like as an honorable mention, because I think he did a really, really solid job again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, first weekend with Daniel Ricciardo, his claim, strong qualifying, strong performances in terms of measuring against his teammate who's established and coming off the back of what Lawson did, I think it was a nice response. So a little honorable mention for, uh, for Mr. Sonoda there.
0: Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with you. Um, but I'm going to go for Aston Martin because I, I didn't expect them to be as bad as they were. Um, I think Stroll getting a ninth uh, place is, is actually a bit of a miracle. Um, Flattering. Yeah. And, and I mean, qualifying for the Astons was just...
1: Hey, sometimes sometimes what, we, what we've learned is that we just need to trust lance he prioritizes race pace over qualifying pace
0: uh, hey you can't turn your nose <laughs> up at a p9 finish you can't Look, and he was, was actually um, he
1: was pretty close to gasly at the end very solid move his as, as well I, I forgot the name of the corner at the end of the back straight by the drs zone there's so many corners at kota uh well
0: in, what, into the back straight or coming off yeah, the back no board?
1: coming off the back straight what, the, turn uh, the DRS the zone. yeah yeah, the other thing mega is move there at yeah. the end of the race. Mega, yeah. mega move at the end of the race. And really well executed. Yeah, like it was, apart from, you know, kind of forgetting about the pit lane start thing, solid for Lance, solid. So an
0: honourable mention for Lance Stroll. Um, We bash him him quite hard on this podcast. It's actually quite nice to give him
1: something. Yeah. Yeah, Here you go, Lance. Here's a bit of hope. There's two two mates who sit and talk about Formula 1 saying you did a good job. So please keep going like this and we can say more nice things about you. (laughs)
0: He will sleep well this evening. (coughs) Uh, um, Right. Uh, It's uh, the beginning of a a pretty busy few weeks for Formula 1 because Mexico is up next. Um, Checo Perez will be looking for a strong result on home soil. Verstappen chasing a record 16th win in a single season. Uh, But Mercedes are showing some good form, as are McLaren. Ferrari finding themselves in more and more of a battle. What are we expecting from the Mexican track, Callan O'Keefe?
1: A lot of people are going to use the word altitude, if last mm. year's anything, the last years are anything to go by. That's, that's something if, you know, if you're talking about Formula One to your friends and you want to sound like, you know, what you're talking about when you're talking about the Mexican Grand Prix, talk about altitude and how <laughs> it affects the cars. Do a bit of research on that. I think I think it's going to probably be a place that plays into Red Bull's strengths again. I, I you just can't bet against Max Verstappen anymore, can you? Even when it, even when it looks like it's against him, it still works. I think I'm going to put my neck on the line and say we're going to see McLaren continuing this form. Hopefully, a bit of a response from uh, Oscar. And besides that, I think it's pretty difficult to tell. I I really like Mexico. It's I think it's I love the whole like long run down to the first corner because it always creates so much expectation um let's just let's just hope for a, a little bit of carnage and uh, a really nice interesting race to speak about that is a
0: really long main straight down to turn one isn't it in mexico but i mean come on, you, you mentioned the altitude thing and if we are going to tell our friends and make ourselves sound like we are smart and we know about you know what's going on for the mexican grand prix what does that actually mean because the higher up you are does that have an effect on the engine performance of these
1: cars um, I believe it does, and uh, you'll have to forgive me on this because I'm not 100 percent certain. But I, as a you know expert in driver performance, as I've kind of like put my brand in myself over the last few weeks with all these comments I've been making, it also makes it you know more challenging for the drivers as well. You know, it's 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 a bit more of a challenge in terms of like how much oxygen they can take in. Um, it's it's a fairly uh, bustling lap. Obviously, the, uh, the drivers are, are combating a lot of medium and high speed stuff. It's got that awesome stadium section at the back, which is really slow speed and technical. So it's a really big challenge for not only the drivers, but the teams as well. You, you're balancing low drag to really maximize the first sector versus your kind of like aero compliance through the you know the, the twisters in the middle sector. And then obviously making sure as well you've got a car that's really strong in slow speed for the last sector. So it's a really big challenge. I think there's uh, there's plenty to go by. It's... Not a track, it's it's you know a bit of a street circuit, isn't it? It's not really getting used over the course of the year. So there's going to be huge track evolution as well. And it's going to be one where the teams and the drivers really have to stay on top of the development curve to make sure that uh, come qualifying in the race, they come out on top.
0: Yeah, I mean just with with that you you bang on with how it can affect a driver as well the altitude is not it's not so much going to affect you know what you actually see on the track but the background effects of it it's basically thinner air you know you get le- uh, the drag of a formula 1 car is so much lower uh, all of a sudden and just the way some of the systems work It's more stressed uh, within the car, so you could expect to see perhaps maybe some more uh, reliability issues as well. It's the highest altitude of any circuit by quite some margin, over 2,000 meters above sea level. So that is what we can expect from the Autodromo Hermanos Rodríguez circuit in Mexico. Did you like that? Was good. I, I, yes, that was. I feel like yeah. I'm in
1: Mexico right now. There we like go. I've been transported. There we
0: go. Um, what? Yeah. One, one bold prediction for Mexico, and we'll leave it there. Ah. Uh, a bold, bold. I, I'm, trying to a bold. B. I'm trying to think bold.
1: Trying to think bold. It's really hard to make bold predictions because I feel like every time I say something, the opposite happens. Oh, 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 While you I'm think.
0: I'm I've going to go. I've oh, got you got there. one? Okay. Okay. Sorry. if you want to go
1: first. No, I no, always, no, no, I always... No, no. Okay. My bold prediction is that Sergio Perez is going to re his form and win the Mexican Grand Prix. I mean... The I... whole crowd is going to carry Checo. Checo's dad, the the vision of him on the podium celebrating is going to be That's enough to make. That's all we want. That's all we want to see. We just want to see those <laughs> scenes. So... Let's put it out there. Let's make it happen. Sergio Perez, the winner of the 2023 Mexican Grand Prix. You heard it here first.
0: I can't top that. I can't. I, I want that as well. I was going to go for the most amount of retirements we've seen all year, but I Ooh, prefer your quite
1: one. That's I, yeah. I think that's a, that's a possibility as well.
0: Well, not long to find out. It happens all again in the coming week. But that is it for our Austin debrief and a little look ahead to Mexico as well. We're out of time. And in the meantime make sure you're following and subscribe to the wtf on social and YouTube channels. But from myself, Harry Benjamin, and from Callan O'Keefe, it is bye-bye. Oh, I didn't think of an Austin, a Texas phrase to say goodbye. Cause I, I used it up on the other one, didn't I? Um, yeah. Uh, What's a good What's a good uh, Texas phrase to, to say goodbye? Um, you're, you're asking this in African. Oh, a good Texas phrase. Oh, it's um, it, it's it's. I'm oh, hang on. I'm
1: googling. I'm googling. We got this. We got uh, this. We got it. We can edit this out. And post. won't. It's, it's
0: all good. No, 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 no. We'll keep it in. We'll keep it in. Uh, okay, from from myself, Harry Benjamin, <laughs> and from Callan O'Keefe, it's time to heat up the bricks. What goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Google's telling me. Yeah, OK, we're going to leave now.
1: Bye. <laughs>